a good move. service that he's using I had signed it up because I was going to do it for my truck because you know obviously me working from home I'm not using my truck every day so it's like well I'll do the same thing but uh, I also realized like that truck's got a little over 200,000 miles on it so yeah having some s strangers come in and use it for whatever might not last as long and I'd like to like to like to keep it around yeah well I like to get as much out of it as I can anyways well yeah yeah, well, and it's good to have a truck that, you know, it's good and reliable. And stuff, well, yeah. If you get a scratch on it, the world is not over. Yeah, it's 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 a comfort almost to have a like a beater truck. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antique and collectibles. More than that, we talk about history from a material perspective. We look at how the things that we have made and the things that we have used, the things that we have worn, have shaped, defined our, shaped and defined our culture and our history and the relationships. And we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. We've got a location down in... Fredericksburg, downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia, at Oldies But Goodies. Shout out to John and Kathy. We also are supported by the WGSNDB Going Solo Network, a national online radio network with tons of great content and creators. And that's it. And that's all. <laughs> that's all. But uh, but yeah. Uh, so so we <coughs> we uh, last week we took a jab or two at uh, at the Royals. You know. At the Royals. Well, yeah, we we punched up, so to say. I guess uh, so. Yeah, it, at their <laughs> at their at their funny hats. At their funny hats, yeah. Well, <laughs> and they did. Well, you know what? We actually didn't touch on hats. We didn't. Well, and I mean, I, I could do a whole thing on the royal family's hats. Well, we'll have to do that. Fascinators and just yeah. Yeah, headgear is uh is is quite the phenomenon. And you know what? I really do wish that it would come back. Well, I mean, I'm trying to bring it back. I'm doing my darndest. But you know, but for a man, it. You know, th nobody really looks at you twice, right? Too much, right? So, but if a woman comes with a with a nice, you know, hat or fascinator or something, they're looking at her like costume party. Yeah, and that's really sad because I'm like, that's really I I I hats? love hats and I have hats and I do wear my hats, mm -hmm. but it would well, be nice if it was a little more mainstream. Yeah, that's fair. Well, and I will say, a uh, hat after like real like there's a hat for everybody. Sure. There's a hat for everybody. Yeah, I I used to think for you know when I was when I was little I wore b baseball caps all the time to the point where Tavin used to call me hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but I got I grew out of that phase and then I was you know not thinking I looked good in hats for a while and then I got right back into it and now now I wear a hat pretty much every day and and you know I could I I could say that uh, whether you think you look good in a hat or not there's definitely a hat that you look good in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really, I don't understand why women don't wear more hats because having a bad hair day, wear your hat. hat. You know. Yeah. One of the reasons, that one of the one of the primary motivators for me uh, starting to wear hats was the fact that I started growing my hair out longer. Yeah. Well, and maybe it's just every other woman can apparently do their hair better than I can. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know the amount of the amount of horror stories about bad hair days and all that. But I'm like, I, but yeah. they used used to. 
women al- always wore a hat. Mm-hmm. They'd always wear a hat. They'd have, you know, a nice, br- they would, well, everybody used to, everybody actually took time and really thought about what they were wearing and does this match, does mm-hmm. it, you know. And a lot of people still do. A lot of people still do, but I will say the majority, of not the majority of the people that I see out mm-hmm. in the public at certain mm-hmm. places do not. Yeah. Yeah. Do not, yeah, at all. Mm-hmm. Of course, in fairness, a lot of them don't have teeth. That's so. also, yeah, that's a fair point. You know, so yeah. it's kind of hard to put a lot of effort into your appearance whenever your smile could uh, knock out a light. Yeah, uh, it, it does paint a picture though when you <laughs> walk in and Bub has got on the overalls, no shirt under it, uh-huh. no no shirt whatsoever. All the hairs just poking out everywhere, mm-hmm. and then smiles with his two teeth. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well. Well, but anyway, the history of crowns is a laugh, and it's a good look into the universality of crowns as a symbol. So definitely, if you haven't checked that out, go back and check out last week's episode. Uh, but we won't be pulling uh, pulling anything that hard this week. We won't. Won't be pulling my leg out. <laughs> now, today we're going to talk about one of the six basic machines humans have developed. Mm. Pulleys. So pulleys are still used today. Very effectively, yeah. Very effectively, mm-hmm. which is incredible considering considering evidence of their use can be found back as far back as Egypt and Mesopotamia. Pulleys are a unique collectible. They are a credit to human ingenuity, and they certainly make it easier to move some something heavy from one spot to another spot. Mm-hmm. Archimedes, we all know him, mm-hmm. once claimed that he could move the world if he had enough pulleys. And yep. I'm pretty sure he's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's right. Well, he, he said, uh, he, to caveat it, he said, I, I'm pretty sure I could, or he said, I could pull the world if I had enough pulleys in the right spot to pull it from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. That's true. No, but uh, he Which was. Which, if you think about back in Egypt, how do you think they built those pyramids? Mm-hmm. Well, and. Uh, You'd have to have a darn good pulley system for that. <laughs> to, s- to say the least. And uh, pulleys may be your, your one way that I would allow you to start lifting stuff right now. Me? Yeah, you. Oh. Yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah, I hurt my knee mm. and I fell. But I have the bruises up down my arms, which are actually much better. And that was from moving stuff. But every time I go to, and I told your dad, I said, do I look like an abused woman? <laughs> I said, I'm not putting anybody down that is because obviously you need help. And, you know, that's a whole nother subject. Yeah. But every time I go in, they're like, are you abused? I'm like, <laughs> No. Just very no. <laughs> just very active. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just active. And they're like, well, what about your arms? And I'm like, well, he didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> this was another fall. And I said, this was for moving furniture. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. But every time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, do I do I look that bad when I go to the doctor's? Every time they're like, are you sure you're not abused? Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, the problem, too, is like most of the... Uh, you know, most of the places that you would get hurt from, you know, moving things or, you know, falling, things like that are places that, yeah, you know, w- y- if you're abused that a lot of times you, those same, you know, uh, ailments well, or like same, same yeah, bruises. Same my, my do- you know, Catherine, my daughter-in-law took me to the doctor yesterday and both. And I was so glad she was there because we we uh, it's on a military base, folks, and the doctor was Asian. I have no problem speaking whatever language you want to speak. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Speak whatever it is. But if you work in the medical community and you are primarily seeing English-speaking patients, like 98, 99.9% of military people are, mm-hmm. speak English. 
because I was like, okay, I'm in. Of course, I had the stupid mask on, uh-huh. and so I can't even like watch, try and watch her lips or anything. So Catherine's like looking at her, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, what, uh. what? And that finally, she's like, abused, or, you know, abused. And I'm like, no, no. I was like, no, my husband and I've been married what 31 years. I said, no, we're fine. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, but it's like, okay, I really. You got to go to that. I mean, I congratulations on being a physician. I mean, that is an accomplishment. It is. However, go to that English class. <laughs> like, well, I'm begging you. It's you like, know, and it's like because I'm getting medical. You know, she's telling me medically what I need to do. I need to understand what you're telling me. Right. Well, or and there's no and on. there's no shame. There's no shame in, in asking somebody to say it again. There's no somebody. No shame in and asking I do, somebody. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like you know. Your accent and everything that you know that's that that is what it is. It is, you know, but it's it and it's like I said, it's perfectly acceptable, perfectly okay if someone's getting information that's vital to their survival yeah. to ask you to reiterate or ask you to enunciate or or what have you, and and that's not an offense thing. Well, it's not, but I will say I had one other doctor that uh, was actually a pediatrician with Tavin, um, and we went in and he was Hispanic, and I don't know where he, wherever he was from. But mm-hmm. he was active duty, but I, from some wherever he was from. But anyway, he didn't speak very. He did not speak clearly, and he did not speak English very well. Mm-hmm. And I kept, you know, kept asking. I said, "I'm sorry. I just I don't understand what you're saying." And I said, "You know, is this what you're saying?" No, that's not what I said. Okay, can you say it again? And then let me see if I can get it. I mean, he got really put out with me, mm-hmm. and I was finally like, "You know what? I really tried to be nice." And I'm done now. Mm-hmm. So go get me a nurse or somebody that can translate because I don't understand you. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, you are required to have a translator. If I speak another language, I I need one. If you speak another language, I said it's got to go both ways. Right. They, well, and like uh, you said, in, in he's the, the only one I've had uh, that has gotten really perturbed. But I'm like, I'm not being rude or mean. I just don't understand. And this is my kid's health. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to take that pretty serious. Right, right. And, yeah, it's not it's not a rude thing. It's not a mean thing. It's not putting somebody really down. Only in the medical community. I don't care all the other jobs. That's whatever. But mm-hmm. if you're in the medical community and I need to know life or death, health situations, I, I've got to understand you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know. Anyway, sometime- now i got a referral. So. Yeah, well, good enough. I mean, so, so sometimes it's like pulling teeth. But anyways. It is. No, the first evidence of pulley, speaking of, uh, being used can be found back in 1991 B.C. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the first in the twelfth dynasty, actually of the ancient Egypt, uh, the, but the the first written evidence was found in Mesopotamia in fifteen hundred BC. However, there was a gentleman from ancient Alexandria who some historians might refer to as the Edison of the ancient world. They commented on these devices between ten and seventy A.D. Aptly named Hero, who was an inventor, a mathematician, and a great writer, quote unquote, <laughs> of Alexandria. And he, he was the one who listed the pulley as one of, of one of six simple machines essential to the human race. Yeah, Hero Hero was uh, also called Huron, and uh, he was an engineer. He's credited with the authorship of several manus- manuscripts, including Automata, Pneumatica, Dioptra, Cataprica, and Mechanica. And his manuscripts are more famous for their technical expertise than their prose. Um, They read a lot more like lecture notes than uh, an actual book or, you know, text. Yeah, I've actually not read, read, but I've actually referenced a few of those. Yeah. 
But he he actually studied under a uh, an equally prolific uh, gentleman named uh, Cetespius, or or Tesebius, excuse me, I guess that's how you would pronounce that. And uh, sorry to the, the ancient Greeks, you know. <laughs> well, I will say too, a lot of people kind of they don't like reading these ancient manuscripts and stuff, and they are dry and boring. They are dry. The time. They are dry. But you do get a lot of great information because sometimes in the little footnote down here or whatever. It will make a mention of something like this, like a pulley, mm-hmm. or you know, the first mention of a candle, or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's where, oh gosh, you know, this invention dates back to this time, even though it was just a footnote for them. Which you know, there again, it's like, oh, that was just a footnote, so it's like some common everyday thing. So it's probably invented ten, you know, twenty years before that, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But those those technical manuals can be very helpful well they're they're very, very, very they're very helpful and they give you a more holistic picture of like culture and, and sure. kind of the, like with pulleys specifically pulleys and these kind of six simple machines that he, uh, this hero uh, refers to them as these kind of these machines are very they're quintessential parts of uh of you know trade construction shipping and so on and so forth that you don't think about on a daily basis but really make the world go round Sure. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. d- you know, in order to move something like a like a shipping container box, like the the crane, the crane, uh, you know, before the crane, we had pulleys, and uh, you know, before and we still do, that. yeah, and we still do have pulleys. There, uh, you know, ships are are fitted with smaller cranes that have system of pulleys on them, uh, and that you know that's how the the cranes operate. I mean, there's obviously a lot more uh, engineering within a well, crane, yeah. but. You but know, there is a system of pulleys. At its core, it's a sil- system of pulleys. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, that's that's kind of like the essentially there's a there's a lot of a lot more complicated math that goes into it. But the more pulleys you have, the lighter the lighter it is for you to pull it. If you're, or, you know, the lighter it is for you to pull, uh, you know, to move a, a larger amount of weight from one place to another. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know the but the the teacher that he, that Hero studied under he was actually credited as being the first uh, president or the first uh, head of the Museum of Alexandria. Wouldn't that be fun? <sighs> Can you could you imagine? Yeah. I mean, the Library of Alexandria. Oh the, yeah. The Museum of Alexandria. These you know, infamous places because we don't have that information anymore. I yeah. mean, the Library of Alexandria, the 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 text that were in there, I mean, have been covered for centuries since oh, that yeah. happened. Yeah. You know. And Hero was believed to have taught at that museum as well. Uh, one historian actually described the I museum. I think it's interesting that they had museums. It is interesting that they had museums. Sorry. But I wonder if an, if museum to them means the same thing as it does to us. Really, it's more of a of a um, you know college. It, it was. It was. So the historians uh, d- m- describe it as kind of an unusual blend of pure science with engineering and applied technology, where much can be discovered through experiment. So a lot of it's a lot more more of a science more lab. of a more of a lab, more of a university. It's, it was a, a place for the development of ideas more than it was to, you know, ogle or st- o- o- ogle relics or, or, you know. Well, and that's kind of what museums are now today. But I do think a lot of museums, you know, are kind of trying to incorporate the experiments and, well, you know, those kind of things So I now. would say that's a little unfair because the... No, I think they are but, trying but, to. Well, yeah. What I'm saying, the, the first statement is a little unfair because I think that, like, if you look okay. at the Smith's... You said that uh, museums nowadays are more just places where you can go to look 
Oh, no, I said I think they're a little bit more than... Right. They're just they're trying to be more than just a place you can go learn. Well, and I you think know? yeah, and I I think I think some like you know if there, if you've ever been through uh uh up which I I doubt unless you have a family there. If you've ever been going towards Guyman, Oklahoma through the Panhandle, there is a little tiny museum in one of the towns. I think Woodward has a little tiny museum. It looks like a one bedroom house. And it's, uh, you know, the, the Museum of the West there. And I think there's like a saddle and, you know, a couple hats and things in there. That, you know, that museum, I would say, is more of a, a tourist trap, but, you know, yeah, something like uh, that. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at the Smithsonian, you look at the Spy Museum, you look at the Holocaust say, Museum, yeah. those those museums, they put money, they put resources, they put energy, they, yeah. they employ people to do that research to you know preserve those uh you know, preserve the you artifacts. know those artifacts and also to study them and you know get 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 what knowledge we can to apply to modern life sure well i think they're but they're i think that they're going a step further though uh, particularly Sm- the smithsonian because that's what you know i've dealt with a whole lot more mm-hmm. than the others because they they are trying to incorporate um you know, putting in like the children's museums where they can do the little experiments and, you know, kind of have more interactive kind of things. But the Smithsonian also, which I don't think Tavin and I went and did this, but it was kind of, um, I don't remember which one it was. Might have been the, I don't know, History Museum or whatever, whichever one it was. Um, but you went in and you basically solved a murder. So they, you would go in, and they would literally give you a skull, mm-hmm. uh, like different body p- bones from a person, and you had to go in and figure, okay, was this a gunshot wound? Was this a stabbing? How old are these bones? I mean, it was yeah. very, you know, it was kind of like, okay, this is how we look at these skeletons, but how we're applying it to, right. you know, of course, that might have not been the best topic because this was geared for kids. <laughs> right. But it, it was kind of, but it was really very, very fascinating. Yeah, how it did because it actually was an ancient bones, mm-hmm. and that person I think was stabbed. I don't know how many times. So Good whatever, enough. God bless how, you know whoever that was. But at two brute. But <laughs> it was really neat though that 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 was provided through the museum, and mm-hmm. they had the experts, you know, kind of come in and talk to the public and talk to the kids and stuff, you know, about how this works and how the museums and their study and their research and the archaeology really does apply to the real world the real world the real world right real world applied sciences you know i mean it, it is it is it is incredibly fascinating which i think is kind of what we try to do in our own little quirky way is okay you know what this is this is kind of how this works in our life now it is well and you know and we're and, just, we're and a lot of these things and you know museum the you know the applied sciences of you know museum research included are rooted in greek society oh sure absolutely yeah. it, uh, hero actually and he was an inventor and mathematician so obviously most of that is not going to be where we're at no, not quite. Just got to tell you. No, Aram and quite. I are not math. No, we're not. We're not. And Archimedes, though, he, the, you know, super great, gave us so many things. That I mean, I can take a bath. I can also take and a bath. And I think about him when I get out. So, so many great <laughs> things, so many great things. But he also invented calculus. And so for that, uh, you know, I, I can't. Um, That's off to you. Bye-bye. Yeah, can't loathe, can't loathe you enough, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, no, Hero invented a great... But um, I'm very glad for those other folk that know yeah, how to Everyone else, that. yeah, uh, those of you that have put time into all it, you, you know what, engineers, you, 
All fantastic. You uh, you're you're not you're not better than historians, by the way. <laughs> every but I will every every career and job and whatever has its place. Yes, you know, and yes. it all blends together to make a wonderful society. Yes. I, I'm in awe of the math people because I just don't do that. Yeah, well, but it's I'm, like, and, and the other side of that is too that they're kind of on me because they don't have common sense. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, a little kidding. bit, not a little a lot. bit, a little bit. No, <laughs> definitely met a lot. Like a lot of people that are very, very hyper intelligent in one area that are not so much in many others. And and you know that's that's and the there's nothing wrong. With there's it. nothing wrong with that, and I feel like that's you know definitely a. It seems like a common trait among like type A personalities and things like that. Just think, Sheldon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and probably hero, hero here. He probably he had, was. Yeah, he had, he actually he invented a ton of different things. He had the first, including the the first idea for a steam engine, a uh, fire engine, and the never-ending goblet of wine. Well, there you go. Yeah. He wrote. He uh, he described. <laughs> and how exactly did that work? Could you, was there like a battery? He, no, involved? he he wrote in he wrote in detail how how to make it, and it involved essentially a pot. Uh, you know, a fire. Uh, you would light a fire underneath of this contraption that would kind of like essentially evaporate, and then uh, ev- evaporate the wine into a, like a, tu- a a series of metal tubes that would then condense back into wine. As a circle. So, what, what was interesting about ah. what it was interesting about this is that uh, his, de- uh, based on the, that description, on the descriptions of some of his other um, inventions, it was uh, it's pretty much it's assumed that uh, a lot the, that that a lot of these inventions were were never actually created for practical use because I mean in in his description of the never ending goblet of wine, he fails to mention where or how someone would actually drink from <laughs> the, the you know, sometimes, contraption. Sometimes I think people. People get caught up on the details. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, I think if you just stuck your mouth at the end of the tube as it was. Well, it's a closed tube because it's got to condense the wine back in. It, it, it could be done. <laughs> there's there's probably like a straw. It like a It's straw. a closed tube, and then you poke the straw through, suck, 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 then close it back up, get some more. Suck, yeah. see. I mean, it's kind of hard to poke a straw through I, metal. Uh, but You don't know. They I do know it's hard to poke a straw through metal. Well, that's why he—that's why he was a math guy. He could have figured it out. I'm sure he could have. <laughs> no, but the Greeks, of course, like to cre- take credit for their part in so many pieces of the fabric of human invention, and pulleys are no different. But we're going to talk about that right when we come back from our break. Okay.
Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aaron. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about pulleys. Very, very useful invention. And they are. we are still supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. We have an online Etsy store that has been doing really, really good. And we've been putting a ton of new stuff in it. And it really changed up the look. Put different sections. A lot of cool things. So definitely go check that that out on Etsy. Hip and Humble Antiques on Etsy. Still supported by the WGSNDB Going Solo Network. Definitely check them out. Check out all of their other shows. Um, so what I, what we were talking about just before we left was the fact that the Greeks are, uh, they are, they are gluttons for credit. Well, the, I was thinking that maybe it's just because they were really one of the first more, I don't know what the right modern societies. Society. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do have the Asians, the Asian countries and China and all that kind of stuff who invented tons of stuff. They invented bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. But you know, I mean, they were really kind of more formal. So, I mean, they had more of the reading, writing, and written. I mean, they could record their things, record their inventions, they, they, record, they, yeah, you they know, were and write and Greek all that. So, yeah, Greek society was absolutely one of the one of the first societies to have documented Document, their their right. you know their culture as I d- well. I do think other societies obviously have you know probably invented their own types of pulleys. Um, you know, to move things from here to there. Or, well, you I know, if you think of the Indians in the woods and stuff, I mean, how do you keep your food away from bears? Pulley up in the, you know, yeah. up in the tree or what? Well, you know, the, I, mean, I mean, it's all practical stuff. And like we said, and like, you but know, it's not documented. Right. And like we said, you know, in the 12th dynasty of Egypt, they were using pulleys. There's evidence of them using them, but they weren't documented as inventing. The first person to actually document that they invented the pulley was Archimedes. Yeah, he patent uh, it though. Yeah, yeah, and and <laughs> as we've kind of alluded to a minute ago, he was the guy who who gave us the phrase "Eureka, Eureka," or a lot of people say "Eureka, I found it," but obviously he didn't speak English, so. No, but he he was saying that whenever he um, figured out the displacement of water. Well, yeah, when so he was measuring the king's crown. Well, often what goes <laughs> unmentioned about this story is what caused it and what he does afterwards. So the story goes Probably that broke his leg, like. <laughs> No, the story goes Archimedes was trying to calculate the exact volume of something using water. He started this thanks to a task given to him by the tyrant or the the king of Syracuse at the time. It's his crown. Who no, he was trying to see was he, if he was getting ripped off by a merchant. Oh. Mm-hmm. The crown would have made a better story. Yeah. Just saying. Well, the the any, anyways, he sits down in the bath, he notices the water level rises and falls when his body enters the bath, confirming his theory that his exact volume can be calculated based on the amount of water displaced. With this realization, he jumps up in the air, stark naked, and runs out of the bath, runs out of his house, still in his birthday suit, in the streets of Syracuse, shouting, Eureka, Eureka, and which tra- translates to, I found it. Unfortunately, the story is most likely untrue. However, the phrase has been used by many scientists since that time after making more prolific discoveries. So, yeah, they they looked they they the historians kind of looked at that story and it, the the story came over 800 years after Archimedes. Well, there has to be a few embellishments along the way <laughs> to make it kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, most know. most assuredly, but it it's very likely that that did not happen at all. Although he did, he did. But you know, just like a lot of people, when you go to erase history, the more you say it, mm. the more it's believed. That's very true. That's very so. true. But truthfully, but this one's a fun one. And truthfully, however, Archimedes was the first to document his invention of the pulley. 
he also most certainly made the claim that he could pull the world if he had enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the king at the time of his invention, so the king of Syracuse at that time, wanted to test his claim and ask him to move a ship in the harbor. And so Archimedes set up a, si- a series of pulleys and moved the ship across the harbor by himself, sitting in a chair uh, far away from it. Uh, the king was uh, <laughs> impressed. I just I just see this thing of, yeah, I can do that. Here, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> hold my wine at that hold time. Hold my wine. Yeah, hold my wine. But you can't get to it because it's in a metal tube. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hero. That wasn't Archimedes. Oh, well. <laughs> The Archimedes would have figured it out. Yeah, he probably would have. <laughs> probably would have. But the king, uh, the king was impressed and supposedly commented that this, that this, the ship moved as swiftly as it might have, if, if it were, as if it were at sea. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah he's Sam going. You win this one. Yeah, he's all right. All right, you you got me this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a pulley, a pulley itself, it consists of a couple different parts: the wheel, the axle, and the shaft. A rope or chain is fitted over the wheel and in the shaft, and then attached to either a fixed or mobile point, and there's a a lot more complex math involved, kind of like we had said, but essentially the more pulleys you have, the easier it is to move a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Pulleys have been made with different materials, but in modern times, they're generally made with an alloy, uh, sometimes mixed with silicone to add different strengths. There are lots of different types of pulleys, gun tackles, left tackles, double tackle, gin tackle, threefold purchase. These different pulleys are designed by the number of wheels and shafts that they have together. And... A lot of uh, collectors are setting are setting up these series of pulleys together creates a block and tackle system, which allows the person to move the weight from one place to another. Well, but also nowadays the pulleys are the antique pulleys are very collectible, right? And um, designers and, and people have been using or trying to incorporate pulleys into their into their homes. Particularly lighting. I mm-hmm. see a lot of pulleys with lighting. Absolutely. And a lot of interior, de- a lot of modern interior design is kind of swaying towards that vintage farmhouse look and uh, that, you know, that ship, even ship look. And those even like the pulleys in there, they can go with the farmhouse look, the modern look, or very modern look. Mm-hmm. I mean, very industrial. Industrial, absolutely. Like the, like what you would think of, of like a painted brick loft in you know chicago or new york city that that has uh they'll have like lights on a pulley system on a pulley system yeah but yeah they people are finding really unique and creative ways to use antique pulleys right well and they are they're incredibly interesting as a collection as a collecting as, as a as a thing to collect because they a lot of the you know a lot of the pulleys uh, the antique and vintage pulleys that are you know still around today the, the the majority of them either came from a ship or from a barn yeah you know because obviously uh, up until the 20th century the ships uh, and even now you know, st- should they there's still sailboats that use both systems of pulleys to pull oh, the sure. sails sails up and down but obviously, whenever all ships used sails to <laughs> go across the ocean, they had quite a few different systems of pulleys. And so a lot of those pulleys are the ones that survived, even though they were used out at sea, which is a credit to the simplicity of that you know, piece of machinery. You know, the, the less moving parts that a machine has, the more uh, the longer it's l- going to last. Yeah, yep, that's, that's a, true. exactly the case. But yeah, there's a. There's a lot of people that, and I've, I've had a lot of pulleys out at the shop and stuff, too, but people will come in looking for pulleys. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, because like a lot of people that they they do collect them and it, they they have interesting markings based on manufacturer, based mm-hmm. on region, and there's a lot of specificity that you can uh, you know latch onto, so to say. A lot of uh, a lot of collections, like if you look at Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol, we've talked about him before. I got that reminds me. Okay, I have a I have I have a uh, Campbell's soup dress that was uh-huh. designed and created by Andy Warhol. And I was going to show that to Catherine and see about getting that thing on the Etsy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. But, yeah, yeah no, Andy Warhol is a collector. He collected uh, cookie jars. I have a whole bunch of those. I would love to. <laughs> I just put, I just literally, we just put like 20 of them yep. out at the shop. So yeah. And please uh, go down and buy the stupid cookie jars. Oh, uh, they're I'm fantastic. tired of them. Well, they're really. They're really cool. They're really fun, and I like to see. Who buys what kind of cookie jar? Oh, yeah. Because it's like a whole person. Because well, we have like a Puff the Magic Dragon one yeah. and like a Mother Goose one. And there's diff- there's a couple ones with mushrooms on them. And there's like the like trash can cookie jar. And then uh, Pillsbury Doughboy. Dough Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. There's a lot of really cool, really unique, really kitschy uh, vintage cookie jars. So if you are in the need or in the market for a cookie jar, definitely go down to the shop and check it out. But Andy Warhol collected cookie jars because of the you know, like breadth or like uh, the I guess the range of their creation because they all serve the same purpose. They're all cookie jars, yeah. But they are all different shapes, different sizes. They were they they have different faces. Some are some you know look like people. Some look like animals. Some look like you know, amorphous shapes, some, you know, there's just such a wide range, uh, a wide and eclectic range of cookie jars. And there's so many different, uh, you know, there's there's so much specificity that you can get whenever you're collecting them. It's similar to collecting stamps, like if you can can collect. I have to tell tell you this, and I'll just put it out there for everybody, because I think this is such a neat idea. Uh, My mom and I were at this lady's house, and she collected cookie jars. Mm Mm-hmm. But, and she had a whole bunch of them and stuff, and I was kind of like, hmm, you want to get rid of those? Because they were really nice old ones. But what they, what she did was, um, I don't think that they, I think they never had kids. Uh, no, they did have kids. Anyway, kids or grandkids. But each of the cookie jars, she kind of assigned to one of their kids. Yeah. And so she would put little mementos in those cookie jars through <laughs> the years for that for that child whenever they pass. And I thought, that is such a neat idea. That is neat. You know, okay, hey, this was something from, you know, your grandparents or whatever. Yeah. And she said, yeah, I just got little pictures of them. Or, you know, if they made me a bracelet or whatever. Uh She goes, you know, whenever they kind of outgrew that, I put it in their cookie jar. (laughs) I thought, that is really kind of a little time capsule kind of thing. But I thought, that is a really neat idea. That is a fantastic And I have the cookie jars. Y'all can start your... Your little time capsules with. <laughs> yes, yes. If you are looking for time capsule cookie jars, look no further. Yeah. But I thought that's a really cute it idea. It is a really cute idea. Well, you know, and it, it you know, we've talked about it before. Obviously, we, in the buttons episode, we talked about the different, you know, people used to get, or people used to give buttons mm-hmm. to unmarried girls as, as for luck. You had to get a certain amount, you know, for, and then, uh, you know, evidently your husband-to-be was supposed to give you the last one of this number. And so there's there's tons of these, these you know, antiquated, unfortunately, uh, you know, sentiment. But that's, you know.
know, that kind of stuff was fun. Well, it is, and that, and it's it, it's it's intimate, you know, yeah. and it, it creates that kind of instant connection and yeah. something lasting in relationships. But you know, kind of like the thing with the buttons or whatever. It is intimate. It lasts and all that. But it's still not too personal that if I come to your house as a new person, I can give you a button. And right. it's not stepping over a line. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's something very friendly. It's very friendly. It's an icebreaker. And a lot of those. We don't know, have a lot. Oh, of yeah. Them. That's the thing. We don't have a lot of those kind of interactions, traditions, traditions anymore. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, because of the arguments that have made against tradition, which fair, you know, there's a lot of traditions, uh, you know, quote unquote hazing. And, you know, a lot of these things that that were harmful are harmful uh, that kind of kind of ruined it. It's kind of like, you know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Pretty much. You know, it's like, yes, there there are traditions that should have should one should have never been traditions to uh you know are good are good to not be traditions anymore but there are traditions that are good that are that do create a connection that do you know unite unite enrich relationships between strangers and communities, and, and communities. absolutely and I, I do say i think with today and the way it is now everything is so divided that it's really hard to even come across one thing mm-hmm. that unites everybody as a community until something like 9-11 happens. Yeah. I well, mean, and it's, it's sad un- that it it's takes a massive, horrible thing yeah. to bring people together, to drop all their crap mm-hmm. and go, you know what, we really are Americans and these really are our neighbors. And, well, and know, a lot of it is because something, just need to be nice. something, so, something so morally tragic and horrendous, something so universally accepted as being morally wrong. Right. Is what people are going to, you know, unite over because the the problem with the division right now is that everyone thinks that they are the moral high ground. And and it's it, it's 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 a it's a slippery slope when you start thinking that your ideas in, within a po- within a political sphere are, are are equivalent to morality. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to have a conversation with someone about an idea if they believe that that idea, it, you know, gives them some kind of moral high ground. Well, people really don't have conversations anymore, though. They 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 talk to other people with the intent to respond. They don't listen. It is rare to find a listen. It, it, it's rare to find a conversation, uh, you know, where you're really speaking with someone and they're really hearing you and you're really hearing them. I so Catherine and I, my wife and I, we went on a cross country trip this summer, and we spent a lot of time together in the car. And it was funny because her coworker, she had told her coworker about it afterwards, and she was like, "You guys were in the car just yourself?" She was like, "Yeah, we had a good time." She was like, "Oh, my husband and I would have killed each other." <laughs> <laughs> like, well, uh, no, we we're, we're fine, <laughs> but. One of the things that happened on that trip, of uh, one of many things, was uh, we stopped in New Mexico when we were on the way uh, from Oklahoma to Arizona. And, you know, we had the dog with us, and so we didn't really go into a lot of sit-down restaurants while in our, on our driving days. But uh, this w- worked out perfectly because this little town in New Mexico, I can't even think of the name of it now, uh, had a food truck on, you know, on the side of the road off of one of the main roads right off the um, highway exit and so we stopped the food truck and let the dog out and had some tacos or quesadillas 
and another guy that was traveling from my uh, birthplace, uh, or actually from he was traveling from Arizona, going to my birthplace, going to Montana. To Great Falls? Uh, not to Great Falls. I, I think he was going to Bozeman. Oh. Yeah, but uh, he was going up there, I believe he said to visit family, and we actually had a conversation, a real conversation, where we, and, and the thing is, is we didn't agree on everything but he listened to me and i listened to him and even on the things that we didn't agree on uh you know at the end of that conversation we both left and said you know this was absolutely refreshing you know it's it's it is it is a rare occurrence to actually have a conversation with someone where you disagree and you both part better and happy with the other person because you know, I, I r- r- appreciate, appreciate and respect someone who disagrees with me and is willing to explain why they disagree. And even if I, you know, you know it's and not just sit and scream in your face. Exactly. Exactly. That does nothing. Well, the thing is, is, is when you raise your voice and you and you take the moral high ground that you've given yourself, <laughs> then you're 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 not speaking uh, an idea anymore. You're speaking a feeling. And you're not even doing that. You're just on your soapbox preaching. Well, it, it, and, that, and that's most of the time, if you're really yelling it. at me, I'm already gone. Yeah. If you're if you're yelling at someone, especially someone who it, it, you know has someone who someone with, with who who's not, I guess you would say, weak minded or weak willed. There's not a chance, not a snowball chance in purgatory that you yelling is going to change how they feel. No, it's just not. No, you know, uh, and and that's why yelling they say at Gen X is not going to work out for you. Well, no. Well, they say the pen is mightier than the sword because it, when something's written down, it means a lot more than if it's screamed in your face. Mm-hmm. You know. That's true. No, but picking things up and putting things down has always been a part of human culture, of human and society. And it still will be. It still will be. It, it will be forever. I mean, a pulley has allowed for the construction of some of the most impressive structures ever built by humans. And we've talked about this before, but the amount of with the care. bridges. Oh, yeah. Look bridges. at the bridges with the pulley systems. Mm-hmm. Those are really neat. I was trying to even think of one, but. Uh, Brook- they have someone in New York? Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. That's Brooklyn Bridge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those are really cool. And then uh, the Golden. Oh, is it Golden Gate Bridge? Golden Gate, Golden Bridge, Gate yeah. Bridge. Yeah. Uh, they call that as a suspension bridge. Yeah. But yeah, it's essentially fixed. That's pulley though, it's, it's it? well, it's made to get to get it up there, but it's yeah. a suspension bridge. So they the the cables essentially it's not a pulley yeah it's like a fi- i guess you could call it a fixed pulley but it's yeah. you know it's just it's a fixed point and they those cables hold up the weight of the bridge and all the cars and everything so but w- without that simple device we wouldn't certainly not be where we are today in in terms of anything construction shipping invention uh, all the things that allow us to the go pyramids. down to a story, pyramids, all all the things, but but even even more basic than that, all the things mysteries, that, all of the things that allow us to go down to a store and pick out an item made in a faraway place, are rarely thought about, but they're incredibly essential to the fabric of our society. I mean, the shoes that I'm wearing, the shoes that mom's wearing, the clothes that I'm wearing, the hat that, that's behind me, actually that was made in America, <laughs> but paint my shoes, my they're my house slippers. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't put shoes on, but my leg hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that knee brace, uh, you know, all of these things. Like that knee brace is attractive. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> is. 
Uh, the, the phone the phone that's recording is the cu- the computer that we're using all oh, yeah. these things came from other places and you know they were put into a crate with a thousand of thousand of their closest friends and it wasn't one person that was just or one or two people just picking that thing up and throwing it in a box uh, the all of these these systems all of these tiny machines that carry our goods carry our tr- you know the things that people put their time into to other people who pay you know pay pay with their time to get it all of that the infrastructure of our societies of our cultures all of these things came from the use and the development of these simple machines yeah yeah that's very true yeah but we are running out of time. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we we always enjoy this. Oh yeah. Uh, we may have a little more fun than you on this side. Of the, on we this might, side. yeah. But you know, <laughs> I enjoy poking fun at my kiddo. Yes, yes, he does. You know, if I if I, I didn't if I didn't he he would be he would be a, he'd be walk he'd be walking up to my cot really. So he, sometimes sometimes you just gotta you know get him back down to that humble. Stuff. You know, if I wasn't so self assured, I I think you're picking on me. Well, before she spells it out, stay hip. All right, bye. bye.